the More Than Words podcast. These are your hosts, Liz and, and Sarah. What's going on, Liz? I missed you, girl. I know. This is exciting. We, I'm, I'm really excited about today's podcast. I always say that, but it is true. Like, I am very excited. We have like three different countries in this podcast. Talk about yes. international, baby. Ooh, yes. Yes. Go and break that accent for them. They were ready for that. <laughs> they were ready like, for that twang. That's Texas. That's that Texas. That's that Texas twang. Um, so y'all, listen, if you are joining us, we have a guest today. Um, you, I hope you are ready because if you're finding this podcast right now, that means you were supposed to be here. Okay. You're here, present and ready. Get your notepad out. Okay. Um, but before we get to that, I do, I have an auntie moment. So Liz, just bear with me. So first of all, Liz and I, we, we've been having like some funny moments throughout the day, right? Um, but this one is actually pretty funny. So I am, uh, just so you know, I'm in DC. So I'm near my family. So anytime I'm with my family, it's one of those moments where you realize like how old you are and what, how old people think you are. So I am over here um, just doing family time. And one of the biggest, funniest things that has happened is my grandfather had the nerve and I said he had a nerve because he was just so funny when he said it. He was like, so how long are you going to be here? I was like, oh, probably for a week, you know, trying to make the most, you know, help out, da, 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 be around, you know, do a couple of things, spend a lot of time with you. He was like, aren't you supposed to be working? <laughs> I said, well, granted, I could work and work anyway because I got my computer. He said, y'all call that working? So I was like, okay, great day for real. You about to really have this conversation with me? He's like, okay, I know. He's like, just because you carry that computer around don't mean you work it. I said, well, great day. Let me show you what I do. So I, I turned the computer on. This is not the first time we had this conversation. But I show him the computer. I'm like, oh, so this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. He looks at me. He said, it's fine if you don't have a lot to do. <laughs> I'm showing him my email, my calendar. I even called a person, like he could see the video. And he looked over to he's like, Well, let me tell you about how I work. So he went into a 20-minute story. Thank goodness I was in between meetings. And he was just, he was just telling me like how how early he got up, what he had to do, like, you know, who all my grandma had to cook breakfast and be ready by. So, I mean, he ran it down all the way until like nine o'clock PM. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Grady, how old do you think I am? Like, I've been with the workforce for a long time. And he was just letting me know, you ain't done nothing until you did it this way. And so I have to laugh at that because generationally, you think about all the people that's in the workplace. And as technology advances, as the work space actually schedules change, there is this big transition where there's some people who are just like, this is so different than where I started. I can't even have an appreciation for the t what you do for a living. And I was just kind of ironic because I'm like, hmm, we're going to have a conversation about personhood and workplaces and transitions today. Isn't but that amazing? Because I think right now they say that there's like five generations in the workforce at the moment. And that is if you take a step back on all the different experiences, right? None of, none of it is you know, I don't like labeling things good, bad, wrong, you know, all that. I hate labeling things. They're just different experiences. And it's so incredible what that what that creates. Right, 
Right. Because he, he, you know, he's in his 90s, right? Early 90s. So he's in a generation that's way past the boomers. Like he's in his own. And I can't remember the name of the top of my head, but he's in that generation where it was like, you know, you did some things. You went to war. You, you know, as soon as you went to high school, you worked. You worked. I mean, you worked as a child. You was either in a, you could do farming or share carpet or whatever it is. Right. Like, and he was, you know, he was always working. So in his mind, it looks a certain way. So I go through that and say, you know, first of all, I love those conversations with my grand day but second time second piece of it is you know how many times do like in that moment I found myself like really utilizing coaching right and just being neutral and appreciative for the conversation that I was having with him even though he did not understand and we weren't trying to be right or wrong but he was just like you'll you, you don't even know what it looks like and I was like you're right I never woke up you know 5 30 in the morning and had to walk somewhere for you know 30 minutes or whatever the case may be so I hope you all at least take for that auntie moment some of the understanding or the hope to continue to have conversations even if you don't come to any type of decision or any of those types of things that you at least appreciate the conversation, even if you can't completely understand, but just show up in the moment to allow somebody to have an experience with you. So that's my little two cents though. Shout out to my granddad for just being patient with me. And look, I was like a little five-year-old kid trying to like, look at all the things that I do with my computer. Granddaddy is looking at me like, mm. <laughs> Can I say, I think my youngest son is, is akin to your granddad. Because I feel like they're the same. There's just one, <laughs> just one is four, and your granddad's 94 or 95. No, 92, 92. 92. Don't give him no, more age. No, 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 no. Yeah, 92. But yes. I think um, because my son definitely has it's okay if he said earlier, he goes, What do you do in that office? He's like, You have a microphone. Like, do you tell lies? Not I'm even telling. the truth. Not no, even the truth. Not even the truth. Just the lies. Well, thank you for sharing that, Cher, because yes. I love, you know how I have a special place in my heart for your granddad. And I love, I love learning about his experiences. I really, really do. And I cannot wait until that book comes out. Let me just say. Oh, come on. Don't put the pressure on me. Listen, Liz, you're always trying to get me to do something and get somebody to do something. But let me just say, shout out to you, Liz. My granddad, when I opened up the door, my granddad had on that um, Astros hat you gave him. It didn't match anything he had on, but I was just too ashamed to tell him. I was like, but you look at Flaggers, Eddie. He had it on. Hey. It was it's the orange Astros. Shout out, y'all. She gave my granddad an orange Astros hat. Keep in mind, we are a Washington Commanders team up in here, a Nationals <laughs> team up in here. So it's definitely clashing with all the colors, but he wanted to rap the represent. So we did we had all the love. Now I can't get him to put that Manchester hat on. I think it's too hot. Like <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we're gonna get him we're gonna get him an everton hat don't worry don't worry we got it we got it no i think he has enough paraphernalia just don't don't you can't tell me what to do i'm gonna be one of those people like i'm always gonna buy your granddad something so there you go so anyway share well let's get this show on the road yes let people know who we have as a guest today Whew. Okay, so pull up a seat, y'all. Let me just tell y'all. So y'all always be trying to make me push my boundaries, okay? And here's a big push. So the person you're about to meet, right? When we were thinking about this podcast, this individual is always on my list. 
this is my very good friend. Like, this is one of them people that like, you know, I don't say her name often because I just I'm just like, this is my girl, right? Like, this is my person, right? This is a person who has when we were in West Africa. So I, I actually met and her name is Angela. Uh, I met Angela when I was on when we were all were in West Africa working. And I was as green as you can imagine. Right. And so, and I come in, I'm coming in Africa and I'm like, oh, I'm just coming to Africa to work and do my thing. And then I realized, oh, wait, Angela sat me down. I was like, so let me tell you what type of work we're going to be doing. And then I realized, okay, I may not be grown enough. I may not be grown <laughs> enough for this job. But funny story, Angela is the most patient person I've ever met. Like, when, when you think about someone being neutral and present, she's always been that person well before I understood what those two words really meant. And so she really was not just a mentor, but just became a good friend. And one of the things about being, meeting someone specifically in an environment where, you know, we all are in our differences, right? Like we're in a new place where we have different backgrounds, experiences, um, ethnicities, all of it, just name all of it. You always spend so much time in the beginning, at least talking about the similarities. And Angela and I sometimes are like the same person with just different temperaments. Like, now one thing I will say, when you meet Angela, Angela is definitely so much more, like she's way more knowledgeable in so many things. And that's what I love about our friendship. Also, she has a big heart, very compassionate. And so the work that she's chosen to do, which you're going to hear more about, is really aligned with that. Because way back when we were having those conversations in Africa, Angela is always one of those people who centered people first. And that's really hard in HR because oftentimes you have to stand on the company with the company lens, right? And so oftentimes I was, she was a model, one of the many models that I got to have in my career of how do you just stand in that gap of bringing knowledge and facts and then standing up and being for one, for a person or people and having the courage to do it right against no matter who's in the room. And the one, she brought that also to our friendship. So one thing I will say about Angela is like, I'm showing the world y'all, Angela, but this is my friend. So I just want to let y'all know, just one more time, throw it out there. This is my friend. Don't come on over here. God mess with my friend, but um, Angela, come on, come on um, to this game. Come on in, Angela. And I agree. <laughs> we had the discovery call and she had that calm and the presence and she was like I can't wait to learn from you and we're like no we want to learn from you right right Angela so Angela welcome to the more than words podcast thank you it's a pleasure to be here uh thank you for the great introduction Shira I just I feel I don't know if I deserve all of it but I also want to mention though even though we've come a long way um I've seen you grow so much and it's just the fact that you get to do this with Liz is just amazing and how you've you've really shown up yourself in the world and you're showing your power and, and contributing your gifts and all your wisdom and learnings to helping people. And I think I'm just it's a it's an honor to actually be here with both of you today. So Angela, can I just give you a little backstory? Thank you so much for saying that and validating because I have been trying to tell her for over a year. More than that, like you need to do a podcast. And I meant for her, her to do it and I'll do the background, but she made me like come in the forefront. So and pushing me because that's what she does. So, anyways, thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, so this usually, is great. So usually, Angela, when we start, we have all of our guests start with the diversity will. Okay. We look at all of the dimensions, basically 
what makes up who you are. So when you think about the diversity, you know, what are the three dimensions that are very important to you in this very moment? Uh, well, right now, I'd say, I don't know if I'd say it's important. It's just things that are kind of in the forefront of my mind because I'm trying to finish my PhD, trying to decide whether I'm going to actually stay in Australia or not. And it's difficult because of the immigration rules here. And so age is definitely one, my nationality. And then also, uh, I guess my my work status or pro professional status, because I am still a student. So I'm trying to figure out um, what am I going to do with my with my the next step after I graduate too, in terms of a job. And so the reason why those are at the forefront is because um, when you're older, the, the immigration laws here are such that once you go over 45, it's really hard to get a permanent residency here. So I don't know that I'll, and there's very few paths to staying here if I want to be here and, and have a career here. Um, and in terms of like nationality, of course, I'm an American, so I can go back to the U.S., but it's unlike, well, you know, I could go back, but then it's where my family is, but I love being in Australia too. And so that's kind of like a tension that I'm dealing with at this moment. And then with my work status, while I'm a student, I have a lot of work experience in HR, and yet in academia, it doesn't necessarily mean anything because like you have to publish, right? That's, that's where you get your reputation. That's how you can get like, like you know, promotions, tenure, whatever. So it, it almost doesn't really matter what I've done in my past. So it's one of those, it's those things where it's like, I have to, I have to embrace who I am, my age, my national, everything now, but at the same time in the real world, as you're trying to operate in the real world, sometimes those become obstacles. And that's just kind of what I'm dealing with right now. And, you know, thank you for sharing that, Angela. And I know when we had our discovery call, you talked about all your different shifts that you had, you know, throughout your life to get you to Australia. And I saw that passion oh. and of being where you're at and, and how it kind of just all worked out. And I think you even said that, you know, you're like, it kind of works out the way it should work out. And it's interesting the way it does. And I, I carried that with me ever since our discovery call about, especially, you know, I'm going through a, still sort of going through a transition, moving yeah. over to the UK. Yeah. And, and, and that conversation really carried me through. It's like, you know, everything's going to work out the way it should. And it's interesting how it does all end up working out the way it should. And, and I love the, the learner side of you, cause that's something, that's how I met you initially was through a learning environment in eg so and it was that calm and the and so i've always known you to be part of that thank you yeah I, it's it's difficult too because you 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 know on the one sense you know i think you're kind of a spiritual person too i think both of you guys are and and i've, I've been trying i've been on the spiritual path for quite a while and to just trust the universe to trust yeah what is happening at this moment is what it's meant to and letting go and surrendering yeah i know that intellectually right i know that from my past experience but still like even now or thinking about my future next year it's kind of like you know you get this fear or this oh i don't know what's going to happen i want to control this i need to do as much as i can now so that you know i have a good outcome next year it's like but at the same time I'm like okay it's going to be fine it's like, it's like, you have to constantly remind yourself, you know, of what you already know, because sometimes you just don't feel it, but you know, but it's okay to also sort of feel anxious too, because it's just the normal part of being a human being. 
Oh. I think just right acknowledge we always talk about acknowledging our yeah. feelings and being okay with them as opposed yeah. to again going back to labeling them good or bad right so so how do those dimensions that you mentioned how have they shown up or in your world especially from a like what are some of the stereotypes that you faced and you know how, how did they impact you um how did it impact you? So I think for me right now, <clears throat> being over here in an educational environment, I think uh, the age one is kind of an interesting one because here I'm around a lot of students that are quite, quite young, like in their twenties. And sometimes when I, when I talk to them, they don't always know right away exactly how old I am. That the fact that I have a, a adopted son, um, he, who's in his his late twenties now, and I think sometimes um, you kind of get the idea like that because you're older, like you don't have anything to contribute, or oh, you don't understand this. Or I remember uh, just a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, talking to some some friends of a friend, and they're like, "Oh, having an iPad. Oh God, that's so like old." School, like old-fashioned nobody has an iPad anymore I'm like geez I have an iPad it's like feeling like you're just like I'm not with it anymore you're like I don't get the trends or the music or whatever and that feeling part of the group because I don't I don't maybe listen to the same music or speak the same some of the same memes I don't understand like I don't know where they're coming from and so this the difficulty of connecting with people that are younger because you know you don't have that same life experience necessarily um has sometimes been a challenge, but I think um, on this on the flip side of that, understanding that and that um, and actually turning the good thing about being older that I found too is because I've gone through a lot, things don't phase me as much as they used to. So when you know, like I used to work, live in the international house with these some of these students, and they've gone through some major life challenges, and like, and I know, like, okay, it's going to be okay because I've gone through some of that. To be able to sit there and listen to them, and then just be there for them, and then kind of help them with perspective, or whatever, and and that actually that becomes a strength, right? Your age actually becomes something good to help that create a connection, right, and to help somebody else. So it's. I think it's one of those things where um, you don't let people's, maybe you think they're perceiving you a certain way. You don't let that, um, you don't take that in as, as like the truth of who you are, as long as you know who you are. And then you just wait for opportunities where you can actually um, create a sense of connection and use, you know, who you are you know, or your age or whatever, your wisdom to help others. I think that's kind of the best for me. That's the best approach instead of just being too bothered about like I'm different or I'm not good enough or whatever. Well, first of all, you know, you people talk about my friend. That's why I want to know. Listen, I was feeling something in my spirit. Who talk about some iPad? I need that number because first of all, <laughs> I mean, I put on my Christmas list. I wanted an iPad, so I guess I'm not cool because okay. I've been waiting for my iPad for years. And now. my Surface Pro. <laughs> what are we talking about? Who are these people? <laughs> Send me their number because we need to have a conversation, okay? Because I'm gonna tell you right now, there's enough kids in the, in the family who will be like, their phones is as big as an iPad, so that shouldn't count. You can't sit here and be walking around with this phone look like. First a of all, you were so auntie right now. You were so auntie. I don't care. 
I'm going there. Like, these kids. I had to say it. I don't what care. I had to do it. No, they're not going to be messing with my friend. First of all, somebody out there is feeling it too because something about that just came into my spirit and all the neutrality went out the door. I just go on record. Because I was like, who is this? Who's this person? Okay. Um, but Angela, see, this is the best part of you. Like how you were talking about, just first of all, the iPad really stirred me up. So we're going to move past that. But I want to go into just you being supportive of other people. Like it could be easily, uh, I mean, because right now we're dealing with, like let's say, all these different generations in the workplace. Yeah. And it is easy to be like, well, that's for them and this is not for me, right? Or to create us versus them or polarization yeah, or right. any of that in-group, out-group stuff that can really make a, a workplace or an environment that should have community not have it. And so to just say, I'm just going to show up, be present, be vulnerable, that is like those inclusive traits that, we all should be aspiring to, but oftentimes, you know, the way you just described it, talking about just being there and being present for another person, it's all, we don't often use that kind of terminology outside of like maybe friendships or personal relationships yeah. in the workplace. And so the fact that that was just a perfect tee up for like the topic of today, which is about personhood and i'm not gonna lie when you you know first of all y'all we had me and um angela had good conversations like we'd be like we just gonna talk for an hour it'd be like two hours later like somebody either gotta go to sleep or somebody gotta eat breakfast or go to work or something but we just be in the zone um but one of the things that you talked about was personhood and and i know you're going to share what that term means and why is it important right now but we really wanted to center the conversation around today like as people are preparing for the year and they're thinking about what type of workplace they want to create you have you cannot do that without thinking about the individuals in it and the collective experience that someone wants to create so could you just for a little bit, like really share with our audience, like what is personhood and, you know, what is it and, and why, why is it something that you chose to kind of invest your studies in? Okay. So in the, my research, what I've come across in the, the medical literature, you know, typically it's been used like, let's say with the viability of a fetus, right? The personhood in terms of the morality, treating the fetus as like a, a human being, like or has rights, right, as a human being. And as I was looking at the concept from the, the idea of suffering, um, I came across uh, personhood in terms of it's like a library of cells or your library of your identity. So there's like all these different dimensions um, that make up. So it's it's kind of like the diversity wheel, but there's also dimensions that show up that aren't on your diversity wheel. So let me just kind of explain. Like, so there's like the individual. Aspect aspect of it where there's the hidden parts of you like your unconscious self like parts of you that you don't know why you do what you do or your secret self things that nobody knows like about you that the only you know or your your relationship with yourself like your self-esteem or your your feeling of self-worth and there's also the more visible parts of yourself like your personality your character your actions that you, you take or your habits that you engage in or your pattern of behaviors or just your body, like how you move through space. Like that's also part of your identity. And there's the social aspects, like the roles that you have, whether it's like at work or in family or, or in society, um, how you relate to your family, your relationships in general um, with all different, all different um, beings, your political self. So your sense of, um, am I as, my rights, you know, am I equal to other people? That's an aspect of your identity. 
your cultural self is also another one. Um, and then there's the, the temporal self, which is like your memories and your life experiences. So you're talking about your granddaddy and how he, he saw how work was done before. Well, that's part of who he is. That's his identity, right? It's the actions that he took in terms of, and his roles and his, his job, but also how, what he went through when he was working, like that's part of him. Um, and then there's also the future self, right? Your, your perceived future self, like who you, you want to be or who you think you're going to be. So any of these aspects of yourself can actually potentially be harmed, right? When we're talking about suffering. And so someone, um, it's very, very complex, right? And how all these different dimensions and that a lot of them overlap or intersect. And at any given time, something could happen like at work that could impact you in all multiple different aspects uh, all at once. And so it's really hard to like, you got to figure out like as a person, how are you going to keep balancing? Like, let's say, you know, with the during COVID, there's that lockdown that can't, that happened. And then some people had to go and take care of their kids, right? Well, they're, they're looking at the roles, you know, as a parent. Um, and then they also have to fulfill the roles at work. But it's also they can't, they, they've got like, um, am I good enough, right, as a, as a parent or not? Or am I good enough as, a, as, a, as an employee? Then you've got relationships like with your team members that you deal with or your spouse. So there's all these different things that are being impacted by just this one event, right? And so, yeah, you could say nowadays, everyone just goes back to work, right? Go back to work in person. And then, but how are you going to actually be able to, that might be okay. Like maybe you can go back and do things in, in the workplace, but then it's going to potentially negatively impact you know, your home life or other aspects of you. Like I have a friend that told me that she, with the lockdown, she was able to balance a lot of different parts of who she is, right? She was able to eat well, right? She was able to exercise at home, she saw her spouse regularly, could have a talk with him. He was a good source of social support, right? So she was able to manage a lot of aspects of herself um, because she was able to, to stay at home and work. And then having to go into work, um, you know, it, it's a lot harder for her to do that. So we're talking about coherency of person. We're talking about being able to maintain all the different aspects of yourself and keep it kind of in balance. Um, and when you're able to do that as a, as a person, you could be pro productive because you're not, you're not worried about, oh my God, this is not working out. This is not working out. This is being impacted, right? So that's kind of, um, kind of where I'm at with some of my research right now. First of all, this is my friend. I just want to let y'all right? know. Just like, audience, y'all need to know this so my friend much. right here. Did you see me like going like this? And then I was like, oh, and then I don't have my pen. This anywhere. my friend, y'all. I don't need to know. I need all y'all to know. This is who I, this is my person, okay? So wait, first of all, let me just call it out real quickly. I know you ready, but the word suffering, right? We just use the word that typically is not used in workplace. But when people keep talking about the environment, like, you know, they can't show up mm -hmm. and they haven't been able to show up over years, yeah. right? Those are elements that you know in the past we're like oh you know it's just a toxic work environment or you know I, I'm still fighting for my place where I need to lean in sometimes the environment you are in needs to have the right terms like toxic or does not serve you and it can lead to suffering right it's causing you harm in one of those areas of your person that um uh, Angela just mentioned, and we don't really honor the, speci the specific Absolutely. nature of that particular piece, because I'm going to tell you right now, and Liz is probably going to go there too as well, which is 
we have so many people who have basically have been able to have that pause in in their career and just say, look, I'm not dealing with that. I'm not dealing with fighting to be online until 630 with a green bubble. And I'm not, you know, dealing with these microaggressions. I'm not dealing with, you know, I have to sacrifice home for my workplace. Like, though I can't show up as my full self, right, with my hair or, you know, speak the way I need to speak just to convey a message. Like, people are just done with it. And I think to your point, it's those dimensions of person that people haven't been able to specifically call out or even know how to address because now you asking everybody to come back in their in their full person but you're not preparing the environment for but Liz go ahead because I I just had to say that because I was like oh I love it no I mean we talk about this pretty often and I think I go back to our, our initial conversation because you bring up the word suffering I I don't think that we talk enough about these perceived negative words um, like grieving and suffering and fear. Um, But I I think that's the language that people should start having and incorporating in them and acknowledging what they're going through. I think all this like hate, I know I shouldn't say hate because I don't want to use that word. But when we, when I say the word like false positivity or that toxic positivity, it's that avoidance of using these terminology. But the reality is Mm -hmm. we experience suffering and grieving all the time in the workplace, in our personal lives. Why not label them, make them more normalize that behavior? It's okay that we normalize all this like negative behavior, right? But we don't normalizing actually giving a language to our our feelings, and so I I love that. I love that the suffering side of it. I I think I, during our discovery call, I was like, oh my god, I hadn't even thought about suffering and and going through, you know, these years. And and we just had an episode that's going to air out before this episode, but where we talked a lot about acknowledging that the traumas and the experiences that we had for 20 years of being in the workforce Mm -hmm. and now getting out of it and thinking, oh, I'm, you know, six months after I leave the workforce or move on to a shift, a career shift or shift in my life or whatever it may be. And it's like, we don't, we not need to remember that we had to undo a lot of the things that we experienced in those yeah. 20 years yeah. and 20 years. And I, I'm using the word 20 years because I, I had 20 years experience in corporate America, having to unwind that in six months. I'm like, is that really realistic? <laughs> I mean, no, <laughs> no. Cause you're trying to, I mean, if we're talking about suffering, you're also talking about healing too. So when I, when I came across the term suffering, it's what I've noticed is there actually is sometimes um, you see people say pain and suffering is like the same thing, but I'm, I'm saying there's a distinction between pain and suffering. Like, you know, you can, you can um, have pain to like your body or you can have like mental pain where to like, you could be bored or you can just, it's just say like um, you're anxious or something like that. But that's just the surface level. It's a potential indicator of suffering. Suffering, um, at least the way I'm I'm talking about it, is where is like a something happens and it causes you to have a loss of something, right? Something of, of some kind of a good or something that's important to you, um, and it's undesired. You don't want that loss. So sometimes when you have loss, you actually want that because you know it's 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 going to lead to something else that you want. So this is something that's undesired. This loss. 
and it causes a disruption such that it threatens your sense of self, like your your meaning of your um, your personal meaning of who you are, right? So it's like a, an existential threat. It's not necessarily just a death, as in like you get you die, like you know, physical death. It's more like an existential death. So you're you're wondering, okay, this is I I've been this way for my whole life. I can't be this way anymore. So what does that mean? Who am I now? Like this is the kind of like death that potentially could happen in all different aspects of your of your personhood, right? could be you know and so i think people need to it's good for them to understand that like when you talk about grieving that is really about the loss right and we all go through that and what i've seen in the literature is um there's usually like three stages you you first like you're you're kind of paralyzed or you're muted or you just don't know how to articulate that loss that 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 sense of suffering because you're so like you're filled with anguish about what's happened to you and you, you don't know who you are or what's going to happen, right? And then what you ha- what's important is to move through that because you've got you can get to this turning point, right? Where you're able to, if you've got people around you that are compassionate, that actually are present, right? We're just talking about being present and listening, and you can express what's actually going on, like what that meaning of suffering is. Like if you're being impacted negatively in some way, what does that mean for you? Like what what did, what are you worried about with yourself? right? Be able to talk about it with somebody because then you can kind of think through, okay, well, maybe I could think about a different way, or maybe there's a, I can be a different type of person or something like you can start to change the meaning of that, you know, the pain event that just happened to you. And you can get to that, the phase, that stage of regaining your sense of autonomy over your sense of self. You have a, you can maybe create a new sense of a new identity, a new person, or a new way of being, um, so you can feel re-energized again, right? So I think a lot of times in, in organizations, um, they don't let you have that autonomy over trying to figure out who you, you can be, you know, through this. It's like you have to be this way and only this way, and you're stuck. You're stuck, and you either have to accept that, that this is how it is, or you quit, right? Because you can't deal with this anymore. And so there's this. it's one of those things where it's like a balance because sometimes, you know, organizations they change and you need to change with it sometimes you know an employee needs to grow too because maybe what they're they're doing in the workplace isn't really good or they need to perform at a higher level so they also have to figure out a way to deal with that loss of who they used to be so they can actually transform themselves into you know a a different person that can actually be more productive or be whatever a, a better employee but it's not always usually the burdens on the employee and I'm saying that the organizations also have a responsibility to help that transformation too, or they stop events or they change events based on feedback so they don't keep making it, making the individual the, the sole person that has the burden of changing constantly. You know, Angela, that, that brings up a, a really good, a good thing that comes up to me is, you know, how do organizations, because we, we can bring awareness on personhood and individuals and all these experiences that they're doing. But when I sit in a a, a group of, let's say, I, I don't want to make an assumption here, but engineers, right? They're meant to break things, right? They, yes. they go, they go at things and they're like, you know what, I'm going to break this. Cause that's how, that's how they, that's how they function. So how, how do organizations, support this personhood, especially now that we're either coming back to the office or we're doing these hybrid or it's fully remote, you know, how do we honor that as how, how does an organization honor that? 
Well, what I, I think it's, it's a, it's an easy and also very complex question because I think to honor someone's personhood, the organization also has their own goals, right? Their own missions. They, they, they have to fulfill what they need to, to survive as an organization or as a business. So obviously they have to set up, um, structures or practices or whatever policies that are aligned with their values, right. And their goals. Uh, at the same time though, it's about, I think, allowing choice. So, I mean, I, some of the, the people that I interviewed, like, um, one organization, they they have like a call center. So they they have, I think, certain goals for their employees in terms of maybe how many calls they have to have in a certain day. But they allow the, the that employee to during the day like um have some kind of um control over like you know when when they're gonna take the calls, right? And they can actually do it like from home or or not. It's like they have a lot of choice in terms of how they actually meet that goal so it's it's just a way um and I, let's just say on, on more of a, a unpleasant side like when you have to lay off an employee right sometimes companies need to do that because you know they, they got to cut costs right and that that's an unfortunate fact however they can the way they do a layoff can also matter too because they can actually give the employee a choice in terms of do they leave now immediately? Because sometimes, you know, I've been in organizations where they just walk the employee right out the door or they just send it. They, I've also heard stories about they just email employee, you're done. You know, it's like they don't really give them time. Like um, some of these organizations that the people I interviewed, they actually give the employee like at least a month up to three months notice. So they actually have time to figure out, okay, well, you know, maybe I don't, I'm not going to buy that house that I wanted to buy. I won't do that. Like I can actually prevent that from happening, like a, a problem that could have happened had, had I not had noticed. Right. Or, um, if I just choose, if I'm given a, an opportunity that today I don't have to leave immediately, I can actually say goodbye to my friends because I've also noticed too, a lot of the coworkers, they actually have important bonds. Like some part of this suffering that's going on is because with, with organ, reorganization or layoffs is that you're losing your friends. You know, and it's really, really hard because they're part of your your social world. So being able to say goodbye or or find a way to make sure you you, you stay connected afterwards is really important. Um, you know, being able to transfer your work to other people, like there's choices that you can allow employees to have so that they can exit the organization on their own terms, right? Obviously, within the bounds of what's acceptable to the company, but I think companies sometimes are, uh, and I understand that they're worried, like, well, the employee's going to sabotage the, they're going to do something, they're going to hack the system, or whatever. Potentially, but at the same time, you have to trust the employees too. And I, I think one of the organizations, um, the an employee that I, she was a manager and she got laid out, but she told me that the organization, um, they did a, a first round of layoffs before and they didn't give people much notice and it went really poorly. And so they changed their tactics and they gave the notice. They even gave her the, the opportunity, they told her because she was a team leader, like the Friday before they're going to lay off. So she had, had the week in the process, her emotions, right? And then I asked her, do you want to be present when we tell your team? And she's like, yes, I do. So they gave her a choice to do that, right? And then she was there with her team members and she, then they, they, um, so she felt like and all these different things that they did the second time around because they learned the lesson is that they gave the, the fact that they gave them her time, gave her choice, um, 
obviously they gave a good severance package, all those normal things too, that that felt like she can be able to process those emotions initially, then, you know, then you can actually listen. So when they actually talk about like the severance package, or these are things that you need to think about, like for your insurance or whatever, you can actually hear because otherwise you're missing out on all these details are actually important to you too. Like what's going, going on after. So I'd say like, no matter whether it's a difficult situation, like a layoff or just work from home or whatever, it's about finding ways of giving employees choice so they can balance their lives, like all the different aspects of themselves within the bounds of the organization. Wow. I just, I want to take a moment because I don't think I, I, I'm so sorry. I just had a little bit of a moment. Like in Sharon's yeah. word, that spirit just like it just move. Let that spirit move. Let that <laughs> well, spirit I, move. I said the spirit left me. <laughs> Not leave you, honey. Bring no, 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 come back, come back, spirit. Come, come back. back. Um, okay. Because you know, I you just gave some word language to my experiences because okay. you know the because because the reality is. And here's here's what I'm hearing from this. The reality is layoffs will happen. It, it, it is just part of. So when I think about, you know, I, I always one of my values is joy. Mm-hmm. And one of our values as, as in our More Than Words podcast is joy, because it is something so important to share. Yeah. And I that doesn't mean bad things won't happen to you. So the reality is like layoffs will happen. It's just the reality, the nature of it. But when I go back and I think about all the conversations I had with people who were let go, because I've experienced probably about seven or eight rounds of layoffs in my in a, in a very short time frame, I think since 2015, you know, from 2015 till now experiencing eight layoffs <laughs> in that short amount of time is is a lot. And it, it, it hurt, you know, it impacts you in your yeah, in your in your your trust is broken and it's mm-hmm. how it's. And I think if I if I look back at it and I think about, you know, the experience that if if it had just been more human centered, yeah. it you know, because I feel like that's how you're describing it, where you put people first, that yes. even though this is a crappy thing that's happening, let's at least treat people the way they they want to be treated. They deserve to be treated. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think about my husband was was laid off as well too from his job and I was I was it, it was a December and I was giving I was about to give birth to my second child and we were about to close on a house and he was let go from a company that he'd been working on for years and years and to oh. this day to this day what he talks about is how how they were they made him feel you know, he came into a room thinking that he's like, oh, he's like, he's, I still to this day feel stupid because I walked into this room and I was really good friends with the HR lady. And I said, um, yeah. oh, hey, so-and-so, like, how are you? How are your kids? You know, da, 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 da. and yeah. he's having, he's just in there being hit who he is. Yeah. And then he said, and then it just, boom, hit me. And it took him weeks. And well, I mean, it's been years now. And he's, and I'm like, wow, it's not, the act of it happening because he could have processed that differently. It was how it was done. And, you know, it, it was like that vulnerable. I don't know what it is. I I can't pinpoint it, but what, but it was the care. It's the care. care. But what stops companies from doing that? Because I always say kindness doesn't cost you anything. Mm. 
Well, first of all, Liz, you talking to HR people. So we we about to go on. Y'all you, got my you, hand here. Like what you you want the company version or you want, you know, the share I want version. the real top. I want the real top version. Yeah, I will I will say, and I'm sure Angela has her point of view. I, I, what stops the care is not a word that is often used in the workplace, right? It's that's not a company language. Right. A company that uses that language is definitely more progressive, in my opinion, because I would say care really goes back to that. You are looking at the individual and the collective or like as a as a as a like an ecosystem, like each piece matters in this ecosystem you're trying to create. And thus you have to have that individual or that person first mindset. But oftentimes companies are operating from a shareholder standpoint. Right. It is, how is this decision is going to be looked upon from their shareholders or their board of directors or whoever it is that they're trying to attract and look good for. It's a status piece. It's a productivity piece. It's very much so in making money, right? But there are organizations that actually are put in, you know, the individual. And it's not just throwing benefits at a person, even though that's a part of it, but it's really saying when someone comes into this office, whether I'm a supervisor or HR person or whoever, they come in my office and they, they need a sense of psychological safety or personal safety, or there's something in which this person needs that we somehow can show up either individually, collectively as a company. How can we show some care for that person? That is where you start to really have some transformation. Cause I know we keep talking a lot about like people leaving, but there's still people there working, right? Like there's still an environment that needs to be cared for and and nurtured and maintained and grown from these experiences whether they you know transition from toxic or they're turning into toxic or they're they're being revamped or transformed in something new right because sometimes you have to cut you have to cut a little bit off the plant right for it to grow right if some things are not working anymore but I'm gonna be quiet but that was my two cents so you know you asked the question but Angela what what do you think about you know um, Liz's question about why do companies do it that way or don't take the time for care? I'm trying to think about it. I mean, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm just trying to, one of the, we talked about a little bit, Cheryl, um, the ethic of care. I'm just kind of going off of what you just said. And one of the papers I read, which is really interesting to me, was how we see the world. Do we see the world as we're born into relationship with each other where we're interdependent, right? So we're kind of obligated to take care of each other. Or do we see the world that each of us are individuals and we're self-sufficient? So we don't really necessarily need each other unless we just need, like it's like transactional type of thing. We just do it when we have to, and that's it. We're very separate people. And I think somewhat, depending on how you see the world is gonna is gonna de- de- somehow determine your approach of whether you're going to actually care about somebody um, and, and do what you need to, to create a supportive environment or, you know, sink or swim, you know, that's, it's, it's too bad, you know, tough love, it happens, that's life, you know, they just get to move on. Um, when we're, why companies don't do that, I, I kind of wonder too, and this is just, I don't know what you guys think about this, I kind of wonder too with these leaders, whether it's, they need to understand their own suffering. So if we're talking about status, right, money, if they don't do what they need to 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 satisfy the investors, what's going to happen to them? Most likely they're probably going to lose their job, right? But what does that really symbolically mean to them? What does that mean? Like, does it mean like who are they as their self-worth? Like you're saying status, status, Shara, 
or um, they don't know who they are anymore because that's not their role. They can't be a CEO anymore. It's like, what's, what's, or are they afraid of losing, right? That could be threatening to who they are. And so they're worried about protecting that. So they do what they need to, to satisfy external people like shareholders or whatever. They're great. But then in doing that, they're creating a pain event that causes suffering for people, you know, down, down the line from them. And so it's like, are you worried if you see the world as we're all inter interdependent and that if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of you. It's a different thing than, well, the employees are just there to serve me. They're just there as labor, right? So I can actually perform, I look good. So it just, it really depends on, on your view of life, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, cause I, I see a lot of here in the UK, there's a lot of, um, and I'm not saying that it's not like this in the, in the U S but where in my area specifically, there's a lot of family-run businesses, a lot of small businesses, a lot of startups, right? And um, the culture is very, very different mm -hmm. um, where they do take care of one another and it is a community um, kind of feeling. And and even, you know, my I have a my my brother from another mother in the US is has a startup company and um he take he takes a very human approach. He's gonna be mm -hmm. on our podcast as well. And I told him where where does this come from? Like my like where does from you personally, like what makes you put humans first and 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 care so much for for people? And do you ever feel like that's gonna change? Because I always want to think the best of people. And I always want to think that that deep down inside you do care about about people and, and, and how they feel and how they react. And so it's like when when do companies shift or do they shift in that sense, if that makes sense? Yeah. I mean that's also a really good question. Um so when I one of the interviews I did, um, this guy was like an accounting manager of a small is a family-owned firm, and he was saying that the reason, the way that they approach like merit increases or bonuses, like, cause with all the inflation going on is that the owners actually were willing to give up some of their own earnings so that the, they can go, it goes towards um, employees, but with the public structure, it's less likely that you're going to end up doing that. Right. It's all about making sure the investors. So I wonder if there's something about the structure of the company that makes it easier for, um, for owners, like on a, on a like a family business, to actually do something that's more caring, um, or or if some people decide to just fight for it collectively, right? Like sometimes it does just take one person in the room to say, "I don't think it should be this way," and we should consider another way. And that voice is either influential or combined with other people. Because look at them, there's been movements. Like by the time this podcast airs, I mean, there's been a movement in the UK for four weeks four week work weeks. Right. And it started off with like 200 plus companies like, listen, we, you know, their employees were fighting for it. They campaigned for it and 200 plus companies. And by the time this air could be many more by then. But what I would say is like, there has been some significant shift that has really kind of put that care in place where like employee values kind of drive the company, you know, and, and because this was said, and there was kind of like some accountability saying, look, give us four weeks, you'll get, be more productive, we'll be more efficient. This is what you're going to save. And this is how you're going to put our well-being first. And there's been some, 
some very much so good data from that to say, okay, it's increased well-being and productivity and, you know, empowerment within the workplace. Now, keep in mind, that's just 200 companies, but think about what we all took away from that, that time during the pandemic when we all got a chance to have that autonomy. Right. You know, we weren't fighting for status. We weren't fighting for anything. We were looking for fairness and connectivity and those types of things. And we were able to co-create hybrid environments like hybrid environments work because the people made it work. And so I say that because I think that's the same thing for leaders. Like if you're sitting here listening to this conversation, the change starts with you. If you're in that room, then this is where we can start putting care inside of our or not organizations and our workplaces but but I do want to get clear one second Angela I mean I think there's two pieces that we start off with personhood and now we move into like this ethics of care but what does that look like like you know how does how can how can employees know or companies know that they're leading with these two behaviors is there something distinctive about the environment that shows up I don't know. What do you guys think? I'll just throw that back to you. Yeah, you know, I'm fine with that. See, this is how Angela work with me. Like, I, I love Angela, that. Angela She's like, with me to work. She's like, stop giving me hard questions. Come on, what you think? Because so you I, guys seen stuff, so you must know too. To well, well, I will say, I think personally, I think that personhood is more, is harder for organizations to really grasp versus care. So I think people are going to gravitate towards care or ethics of care because in care, there is just something natural about that makes you want to try to do the right thing. Because care doesn't always mean it's going to be 100% right. I mean, my intentions is to serve you in a way that provides you some type of solution to whatever your need is or to to make the best of or, you know, to to provide you something that makes it um, that supports you as you figure it out or as we create this environment, right? Like there's some type of, every time I think about care, I think about a hug. I know that's not appropriate for the workplace, but anyway, it's like that safety, right? Like I'm here for you kind of thing. But when you think about it from care versus personhood, personhood, I feel like people can easily get out and be like, oh, well, some people want dog insurance. Some people want, you know, in, you know, dog insurance. Some people want, you know, unlimited. Yeah, like we can't ab- cater to every single need. Right, we can't cater to every single right? need. And it's a new thing every week, right? So it feels like an easy out to say, well, we can't deal with every individual. But care, I think, is basically saying, I'm coming with positive intent. I'm coming with positive intentions. I'm a, I am trying to include you in what it is that we're trying to build together. And, and people will be more open-minded towards that than this individualistic kind of, because I think it says person in the word, but that's my two cents. Liz, what do you, what's coming up for you? Because I, I'm telling you, that's a hard question, even though I asked it, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no way, you wrote the questions. You know, I gravitate more to the personhood. I go to the hard stuff, right? Okay. My fear is, um, yes. I, my fear though is on the care side, is it going to be so surface level? Because we always talk about intent versus impact. And how do you help organizations go from intent to impact? Because you can get stuck in that intent. I I wasn't intending to be offensive. I wasn't intending to hurt your feelings. But the reality is that you did. So, you know, what's the impact? What's the shift? Because I, I feel like we 
And you could see that in the McKinsey report. You could see it in the Great Resignation. You could see that people do not want to move away from just intentions. They want to move into this impact. We want to see real change. And I do feel like, you know, when we did the McKinsey report um, segment, you know, Shara brought this up, actually. She said, I, I, I chuckle because... She's like, I've been waiting for this for such a long, like we're all waiting for this, right? This shift that's happening and our organizations behind or, you know, how, how do they keep up with, with the needs of people, which is why I, I love the personhood aspect of it. And I, and I hope that that's, I know it doesn't have to be an, or I think it can be an, and my fear is that organizations will go to the care because it is more surface level. It is more like the day of caring where we go plant trees and we're community, you know, those, yeah, right. yeah. And okay, we did it. We planted a tree, which is yeah, great. Please go plant more trees. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, th- I think it comes, I mean, I don't, I've never worked in consulting organizations, but I hear sometimes they have, because they, they want to make sure they keep their consultants and their consultants, like I think travel everywhere. I saw a graphic at one of the consulting companies had like a layer of benefits, right? Where there's, it's tailored to like, um, I don't know if you're a parent or not, or there's different kinds of benefits that they offer the employee within the structure. I feel like that's kind of one way that you can kind of within the bounds of the the company offer different things for an employee to choose from that that works for them. But, um, and I, I also think, it's important to give employees credit that they understand that the, the companies can't just give everything to every individual and satisfy everything because it's impossible. They have to balance, they have to make money. They have, you know, they have to survive too. But some of the people that I talked to, what really mattered is, is when, when companies did surveys, right. For like what benefits are important for you that they actually followed through, they got that feedback. They yes. actually implemented like over time, maybe one every couple of years or something, but they actually were implementing things like paternity leave, or some other benefit that actually really does help the employee. So they felt like, yeah, they actually care. Like, cause you were talking about the impact. It's, it's, it's actually responding to feedback you get from the employees at more at the organizational level, but also like at a, like a leader level, right? If you're having one-on-one meetings with employees, it's important. I think it's, it was very, um, a, a common theme I saw too, is like, the managers that actually cared actually tried to have regular meetings with their staff, right? One-on-one conversations where it wasn't just about work, it's about who are you as a person, right? And so that way, with that personal connection, it, the employee's comfortable, right? They feel safe to share what's really going on. So if things are going well, they'll say it. If they're not, they're going to tell you, right? And then and then that's where the, the, the leader has to be able to also find a way to adjust, make it, you know, if there's something going on. So that way they can actually make sure that impact is there. But it's it's not like a one-time set um, thing that happens. It's like an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing relationship. So that way that the idea of impact is always, you know, the employees know that that leader actually cares about making impact because they show it over and over and over again. Right. Yeah, Just as absolutely. the organization at the at the top level, they live their values over and over again. But every single choice that they make and everything that they put in place for that company, it's aligned with their values of caring. Oh, let me just say this. Oh, don't ask no questions. 
Don't ask no survey questions you ain't gonna do nothing with. Ooh, I can't take it. Ooh, I can't take it. <laughs> Is that your Ooh. reflection moment? <laughs> Ooh, that just hurt so bad. I'm telling you, I mean, Angela, Liz, y'all know we don't work together many occasions. And we've got, we're all doing our individual consulting, have our own businesses. And this is one of them things that when you work with clients, clients out there, close your ears, um, you you ask them about, hey, you want to do the inclusion? You want to do a, like a company post survey? Post survey. Do you, want, do you, yeah, an inclusion survey. Do you want a post check, right? And everybody get all skittish. And it's not skittish because they don't want to do it. It's because they, in the past, asked these questions that did nothing with it and or they are too nervous because they haven't been in connectivity with their organization that they don't know. They're too nervous of what may come out that they don't want to support. And so when when this comes up, I'm always, it's a post check for me to say, I'm not sure I want to work with you. And shout out to my mentor, which one day we'll have her on. She was like, when a company starts getting, I mean, a, a client starts to get skittish about a survey or starts to over-engineer how you want to place these questions not because they want to get something you know not because they're trying to drive it a certain type of way to get like specific information but when they start really kind of skating around the fact that are they ready to hear the feedback or they're too nervous about it that that might be you know the ripcord to get out because that organization is trying to check the box on something versus really having some sustainable change so you know you as a consulting partner need to decide if you're in or out but that's one of those things like quite frankly i've had to decline a client or two and i ain't gonna lie i mean i, I know a couple of one of those decline clients is on it listens to the podcast but one of those individuals i had to, the conversation was very raw in the sense to say listen I don't, I'm not here for performative work. You can get that from a dime a dozen. There's plenty of people who will take your money and do something and have you check this box off and never come back to you again. But I'm here so that we can, you, when we look back at this at the end of this project, you can see the change that you've been looking for for your organization. And this is not going to happen this way. And, and so I'm going to recall my offer or, you know, whatever. And they were like, you know, we had so there was some harsh words said to me, you know, like, mm-hmm. how dare you? Da, da, da. But I'm like, no, how I and I wouldn't say this rudely, but I was like, how dare you waste your employees time? Right. right? Like, don't hurt them more and harm yes. them more by getting them engaged with hope, thinking that you really it really matters and not do anything with their voice and, no, and nothing with their vulnerability and, and say you're committed to them. I mean, it's a breakup. It is literally intentionally hurting and harming somebody yep. and breaking trust at every time you choose not to do it. And so I'm glad you said that because I mean, I'll be honest with you. I post surveys are great, but if you don't do anything with them, then what are you asking for? Yeah. You're just wasting people's time and creating rifts of trust. So, I mean, Wow, this is, I could keep going, but it is. It's time, it's time. Oh my God, this is, Angela's like, y'all making me, this podcast a long one. It is, Angela. But this is so important because this is gonna, this is gonna come out um, the first part of the year. It's gonna set people up who are doing this work or leaders in organizations. And um, we're gonna do a whole episode to kind of prompt like what we we got going on in 2023. Cool. So- Angela, thank you so much for being on our podcast and being a guest that you've, I, I don't even have notes, but I, when I'm co- finished, I'm going to just write a whole bunch of notes and my, my piece of paper here. And yes. you know, I think we, we normally end our episodes with a kind of a moment of reflection and, you know, you definitely participate in this. But for me, I think, um, I think the, the giving 
words to your feelings and acknowledging them and then figuring out within an organization, you know, no, you can't cater to every single person. That's unrealistic. But you can care about the collective and what they need to be their most successful. And I I had a very, very, I had an amazing boss, one of my last bosses when I worked in corporate America, where he took the time to he was, he's very hard on you when he needed to be, but he rooted for you. He was an ally for you. And he, but he kind of catered to you and to what you needed and what you wanted. And he let you kind of take the ball. So it was this whole trust on saying, I trust you to take this and then tell me what you need mm-hmm. and pick your hand up and say, Hey, I, I need help. And, or I need to speak up or no, I don't agree with this, but he gave me that space. And to be able to do that. And I don't think it's like where leaders need to cater to individuals. It's not realistic, but they need to create the space and the trust that employees know what they want and what they need to be the most successful they need to be. Yeah, I I, I am with you on that, Liz. I I mean, I think though what comes up for me is really just to piggyback on what you said, which is really around, you know, this is a relationship, workplaces, uh, work environments, um, companies and teams are relationships, right? It's it's relationship driven with goals and expectations kind of driving it at the forefront. But, you know, not everybody's good at healthy relationships and boundaries and values and all those types of things. And so this is the time for you to decide, like, how do you want to show up individually and collectively in the workplace if you really want to be of the workplace of the future? Because the workplace of the future are going to keep the person and the individuals at the forefront and making sure they're being led by those people who understand that that talent and what people have the potential needs to be harnessed. So for me, my reflection is really, I'm just one proud of my friend here and the work that she's doing around this particular work. Um, And of course I couldn't help, but, you know, shout out to her um, because and all those who are working on this type of topic, because I think it's going to be transformational for us understanding how to create those workplaces, uh, the the workplaces we need now, but will be necessary for the future. Um, And second of all, I really just want to challenge our listeners to say, if it's something that came up for you that you still don't understand, or you want more of a conversation with, reach out to us and so that we can be more specific and maybe do a live maybe with Angela in the future so that we can kind of answer those questions. And then lastly, you know, Angela's doing still her PhD work and need people who want to share their perspective around this topic. So if you and your organization want to be a part of that, please reach out to um, us at uh, Shara. I mean, Liz and Shara at morethanwords.com. I mean, no, that's not right. See, let me leave it to Liz to tell, <laughs> tell you all the handles because that wasn't right because I was on this like Gmail. But anyway, you make sure you reach out because listen, if you don't, if we don't collect the data, and start to look at it and have people who are dedicated to kind of be able to put our actions into words, into potential solutions, then what are we doing, right? Like we need to be yeah. moving and building this bus as it goes and this airplane as it goes, but it doesn't mean that we can't have the right people with the right eyes and the right time to do it. So that that's what's coming up for me, even though I could go on with tons of other things. But Angela, reflection for you, even though I did a bad job advertising with the wrong email, but I, you know, I tried for it. I tried. <laughs> Yeah. It's been it's been great talking to you both uh, and getting your perspectives uh, and just 
it makes me feel good that I'm actually, am I on the right track with what I'm doing? Cause sometimes I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, I'm wasting my time, but it's, it's good to kind of get confirmation that I'm not off my nut. So, mm-hmm. but I think the other thing I was thinking about with how does care happen and, and how do you lead employees better? I think it comes down to, are you being mindless? Or are you being mindful in terms of how you're approaching your employees or the organization? So it's about the intent. So it means you have to take the time. You have to pay attention. Yeah, there's lots of other goals and other things you need to worry about. But the only way that care is going to happen is if we actually make an effort towards that. So it's like if if you're not, if something is taking you away from that as a leader, you got to think about why is that? And there's, is there a way you can recenter yourself so that you can actually focus on the employee or figure out how to create a workplace that, that supports them? Oh, this is my friend, y'all. I just want to let y'all know one more time before we end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, not- Joe. Tell her, wait, 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 wait. I listen, Angela, I what keep doing what you're doing. Tell everybody in your class and doing your, your topic, tell them keep the effort going. We need them. I'm I'm telling you, I believe that yeah, from that, like the show billions, that we're going to have more individuals embedded in the workplace that have these conversations who's looking at culture, like diagnosing it, right? And telling you how to you how to like really manage and support and care for your talent. So I know billions is kind of like a like a little bit extreme version of that, but like I think the future, like mark my words, y'all, there's gonna be individual people be. And no, not just broad brush of HR, but like individual people who are there to make sure yeah. that you are really managing and your talent differently and that accountability. And it's, it's beyond what we've already created. And I really just feel like it's something happening here. And I just hope that the future with all the work that you're putting together is um, just the cusp of what that's going to be. So I'm sorry, Liz, I had to just say that, but no, I mean, I'm that, very hopeful about incredible. this. No, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I'm a data person. I, I analyze things and mm-hmm. that's where it's going. So, and oh, it's good because we, we are more and more, you know, being very analytical, very automation, very AI. So you're, yeah. you're going to have, you're going to have to bring in that into your people. You do it for your customers. So do it internally for your own people. So, yeah, exactly. all right, y'all. Well, thank you for joining thank us you. on more than words. Um, Follow us on Instagram at More Than Words Podcast. Um, please send us an email, Liz and Shara at More Than Words Podcast.com. And, uh, and also, uh, when this airs, we will have a LinkedIn page, but don't message us there in LinkedIn. Okay. Don't wow. message us in IG. Send us an email. Yes, I know we can't keep up. We can't keep up with those messages, y'all. It's not good analytics on that. So I'm just telling y'all, send an email. We could try it better. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye. Bye.